0: Hey, it's been, it's been super fun to be back here with you all at Family Camp 4. We do have to leave tonight right afterwards, so uh, if you want to say bye, you better come up and say bye. Uh, if you don't, that's fine. I'll cry all the way home. So uh, we're, we're just excited to be with you guys, and as you know, we've got history here at Family 4, but you're, you're a great bunch. I happen to believe that Family Camp 4 is the best family camp of all five. So I know you all know that because that's why you come Uh, This week, but I've uh, gotten to go to some of the other ones and I'm I'm partial because you guys are my peeps, you know From those six years that we were together. So open your Bibles to uh, John chapter 4 tonight We're gonna finish the story of the woman at the well It's always funny as a parent when you become a parent There's things that come out of your mouth and things that you say to your kids That you never thought you would ever say stuff that surprises you. You know what I'm talking about like you're like Did I just have to say that to somebody? Uh, My son Judah, he's he's four, he will do anything for a laugh. And I think it was yesterday, it was one of those moments I said something to him and I thought, I didn't ever think I would ever tell another human being this. I'm like, Judah, do not, under any circumstances, bury your face in another person's rear end ever. (laughs) And then you stand there, you're like, did I actually just have to say that to another person? You know, like, why? But he's... Judah, and he's you know trying to get a laugh, and the things that you say to your kids just really surprise you, and the some things you say as a parent surprise you. In my house, I've got all kinds of cool toys from the 80s. My house is like an 80s museum, isn't it, Liz? I've got boxes of all kinds of goodies at the house. I have my first car. It's a 1984 Firebird with T-tops with that sits in the garage, and then there's other memorabilia around. I still have that set, those Tyco cars, those are in my garage. I've kept those all these years. And so one time I was sorting through all of these things and figuring out what I was going to keep and what I was going to throw away. M- mostly keep, not as much on the throwaway side, mostly keep. And so I was pulling some things out. And around that time, my son Elijah was really, he was pretty small. He was into rescue bots. Anybody know what rescue bots are? They're, they're like, a you know what rescue bots are? They're cool, aren't they? Yeah, it's, like a, it's like Transformers, but a, a newer version of Transformers. And so I pull out of one of these boxes and put it on the billiards table in our basement, an original, large, Optimus Prime Transformer. Yeah, say ooh a little more to that. Ooh, yeah. I mean, pretty cool, right? Going about my business and I look over and Elijah is like this. He's looking at that, and I see his grimy little fingers reaching up to to touch that toy. And I snap at him, and I say, don't touch that! That's not a toy! (laughs) And then I realize just how stupid that sounded as I'm talking about a toy. It's a toy. And I've just yelled at him. And then I'm like, that is the craziest thing to come out of my mouth, what I just told him that that's not a toy. Because it is a toy, but not a toy he can play with, right? So I told him, no, he stands there, he's looking, he just really wants to play with it. And I think finally I let him um, at least touch it for about five seconds and then pulled it back away from him, you know, because it's, it's much better in a box. It doesn't need to be played with by kid hands, amen? Am I right on that? Much better in a box. It was just those moments that were like, did I actually just say that? Did that, did that come out of my mouth? I mean, it just seems so weird to think about that statement. You know, it's funny as you look through the scriptures here and the New Testament in John chapter 4, and you see Israel's attitude towards other people. Israel was called by God. They were specially chosen by God. God chose them out among all the families of the world. God gave them the glory, the covenants, the law, the temple, the promises. They were supposed to bless the entire planet. Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and in you, what, all the nations of the world will be blessed. They were to be a blessing. They were to lead the other nations around them in worship. They were to display the glories of Almighty God and, if all possible, lead anybody and everybody to worship God and God alone. That's what God set Israel apart to do. But over time, they began to get arrogant in who they were. They began to look at other countries with spite and derision, and began to think of other countries in less than flattering terms. And you see this displayed in a number of places. One great example is the book of Jonah, where God says to Jonah, I love this nation, Assyria. They are rotten, they're horrible, but they are my creation. They are made in my image. And Jonah says, God, how how can you like them? They're absolutely awful. How could you ever have mercy on them? God says, look, Jonah, Mr. Jewish person, Mr. Prophet, you've missed the point. I'm a God of all people. I love all people. I created all people. People are made in my image, and you as a nation are supposed to be a light and a beacon to other nations. But over time, Israel forgot this. They thought they were the chosen nation. They thought they were special They became arrogant in their place, and they used their special position with God to justify prejudice and racism, and it comes to a point here in John chapter 4 where you have the disciples absolutely shocked that Jesus would talk to a Samaritan woman. They hated the Samaritans so badly that they didn't even want to talk to them. They didn't want to touch them. They didn't want to come in contact or even walk through where they lived, and instead of being a light to those people, they hated them. Let's say that you're a parent, you have five kids. Let's say that you have a giant bag of M&Ms that you've been given, and you take this giant bag of m ms I'm not talking about one like this, like, like one like this, like a big bag of M&Ms. And you take the big bag of M&Ms, and you give it to your oldest child, and you say to that child, I want you to take that bag of M&Ms, and I want you to divide it equally among the siblings. Got it? Great. A week later, you find the bag of M&Ms in that child's closet. Unopened. Not split up. Not shared. How are you feeling at this moment? What are you going to do to that child? How much are you going to light his backside on fire? Anybody? I mean, you just kind of like I gave you a job to do and you hoarded it. For yourself. You know, it's easy to be hard on Israel, isn't it? To think of Israel in those terms, but I would just simply ask you that question as well. How are you doing sharing this gift of salvation that you've been given, fulfilling what Jesus calls in Matthew chapter 28 the great, great commission? How are you doing sharing that gift of salvation that's been given to you Jesus has been showing us in this text that He's the Savior of the world. <coughs> Excuse me. He meets a woman at a well that He shouldn't have been talking to according to their standards as Jewish people. And the big idea for this sermon series is this. God calls us to lead thirsty people to living water. Okay, God calls us to lead thirsty people to living water. I'm a thirsty person right now. I'm just going to put my living water right behind me there. Let me just tell you this phrase. I want to kind of use this phrase through the sermon Okay, here's a phrase for you. Jesus ran to people that we often run away from. Jesus ran to people that we often run away from. I think that's the case. I don't think any of us would have approached this woman at the well. I don't think any of us would have wanted to come close to this woman at the well The example that Jesus gives us is he runs to people that we in our hearts would tend to run away from. So let's look at this text of Scripture for us here, starting in verse 39. This is the finish of the story of the woman at the well. It says in verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Okay, 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So as you go through those verses, (coughs) I'm having a problem. If you go through those verses, just want to ask and answer some questions this evening. Number one, who should I reach? You're thinking of who you should reach. And Jesus gives us this great example of going and reaching people that we wouldn't normally reach. He finds this woman at the well, a Samaritan, someone that they were prejudiced against, and he explodes every paradigm of the Jewish people. So, who should you reach? Who, who should you talk to? Who should you go reach with Christ? And the answer is really simple you reach people who need Jesus, right? You reach people who need Jesus. So who is this? This is anybody. And I love how John 3 to John 4 progresses because in John 3, he's reaching out to a very famous cleric, and in John 4, he's reaching a very notorious fornicator. Jesus goes to a wide variety of people. He's trying to tell us that there's no type of person that needs Jesus more or less than anybody else. When you think of reaching people for Christ, when you think of someone to share the gospel with, what's the picture of that person in your mind. And a lot of times I think when we think about sharing the gospel with people, the picture we have is somebody a lot like us. Or maybe you've even said something like this before. You see some people, some neighbors or something, and you say this phrase, boy, they would make great Christians, wouldn't they? Why do we say something like that? The reason we say something like that is because we see them as already being fairly good, right? And so they don't have to come quite as far, or God doesn't have to clean them up quite as much. they're, They're almost there. They've almost made it themselves, and God maybe just has to reach down a little bit to get them the rest of the way. Have you ever thought something like that before? Here's Jesus. He goes to the most religious person around, and he goes to the most sinful person around. Who do you go talk to? You talk to people who need Jesus And so we see, verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him. The Samaritans needed Jesus as much as the Jewish people did. I want you to go to the second idea here this evening, the second question, how should I talk to them? How should I talk to them? In other words, what do I say to these unbelievers? Jesus gives us a great example in this text because he goes to this woman, and they're at a well. And what does he start talking about? Does he start talking about theology? Does he start talking about all the different bibliology and theology and soteriology, all those things, what does Jesus talk about with this woman at a well? Water. Can I have a drink? And I love how simple he makes it. He talks about water, and this woman simply repeats what she heard. She goes public and worships Jesus publicly. Excuse me so when you're out and you're talking to people, I think you find people to talk to, and you talk to them about normal things. Wherever you find people, you, you connect with them where they're at. So I've, uh, over the last year, started going to a gym to start working out. I know that you can tell. It's, it's very obvious by my amazing physique. I don't have a seminary physique anymore. <laughs> Just kidding, Andy. I've got The skinny physique, yeah, I would still be the last guy picked on a football team probably as I was in elementary school. But at the gym, talking to people, what do you connect with people about when you're at the gym? You walk up to someone and say, you know, of course you got headphones in, right? Take the headphone. (laughs) Take the headphones off. Hey, uh, so what do you think about Calvinism? (laughs) Is Is that how you connect with somebody at the gym? Right? Oh, I don't know about that, man. Get away from me, dude. What are you talking about? Right? You you see someone at the gym? You come up, hey. Take the headphones out. Dude, your arms look amazing. (laughs) And then he says, get away from me. You're creepy. Right? (laughs) Didn't say it exactly like that, but at the gym, what are you talking about? Exercise. And there's plenty of guys there. That know a whole lot more about bodybuilding than I do. Let me be quite honest. There's plenty of women there that know a whole lot more about bodybuilding than I do. I mean, that's a little scary. If you, I see a woman working out, I'm going to go down to that bench. I don't want to be benching next to a woman who's benching more than I am. I mean, there's some Amazons at that gym. Let me tell you. But there's this guy that works at, at the gym, and I've been chatting with him. And he's a young kid, and we just started to talk about what Calvinism exercise. Just kind of talking casually about it. One day he moves his arm to the side and I see that he has a tattoo. By the way, tattoos are great conversation starters. Do you know why people get tattoos? Because they want you to see it. They want people to say something about it. Let me show you this one. No, I'm kidding. No. I don't have one. I really don't. So he turns his arm to the side and I'm like, "Tattoo?" sweet. It's a Greek word. This is awesome. And I can read it. And I say, oh, Psalm 42.1, huh? And I love doing that. Just dropping it in there. And he's like, oh, you read Greek? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, at that moment, he might be like that, but I'm like, (laughs) you know. You got this, I got this, buddy. <laughs> so we start talking about Psalm 42 and different things, and come to find out he had been a foster kid for a long time, since he was 11 years old. He's 20, been in foster care. And I was like, man, that's really interesting. I, my wife and I adopted a kid out of foster care, and suddenly we're talking. And I can sense in him there's just kind of an angst, you know, just sort of a, I don't know, he's just really motivated but kind of angry and something's going on in his life. And we just kind of chat and come in and come. I'm just praying, God, give me the right opportunity, give me the right opportunity. And so one time we go in there, I feel like I had an open door. I said, hey, let's get together for lunch sometime. He said, "Ah, that's a great idea. And man, I I get a little worried when I throw that out there if someone's just going to be nice and say yes and if they really don't want to get together with me, especially if they know I'm a pastor. He said, yeah, sounds good. He goes, what's your number? And he asked for my number. Gave him my number, changed the number, started texting. I was able to go to, go to lunch with him and, and hear his story and see what he went through. He's not a believer. Uh, he's not really a churchgoer. He ended up in a Catholic home. Somehow he uh, got connected in with the Psalms to some degree and really liked Psalm forty two one and had that you know tattooed on his arm. just interesting the way we connected. He's an MMA fighter, so that's another thing we had in common. You know, <laughs> like it just was amazing all these things that were just kind of stacking up. But I'm just interested to see what happens. You know, I didn't really do anything at that particular meeting. I just talked to him about life. Tell me your story. Tell me where he came from. It was interesting. He said he would. He had been uh, reading out of something, and he mentioned the Codex Sinaiticus. I love sometimes. Yeah, yeah, sometimes unbelievers they try to drop these things like this, just to just to try to show me that they're smart. You know, because I know I'm a pastor. So he drops Codex Sinaiticus, and no joke. This is this is really funny. That day I had actually been studying the Codex Sinaiticus. Like that very day, I'm like, God, you're amazing. I mean, he just dropped that on my left. I was like. Yeah, I was just reading that today, actually. You know, was like, really? And we chatted. But I'm just interested to see what happens. His name's Max. Maybe you could pray for Max. Maybe you pray that I have opportunity to talk more to Max. So what do, you talk, what do you talk to unbelievers about? How do you talk to unbelievers? You know what? You just go public with worshiping Jesus. You come and you talk to them about life and you connect about life. And you know what? As I was talking to him, there was no way for me to not talk about Jesus in that lunch. It was only about 35 minutes long. There was no way for me to not talk about Jesus because it just happens. It's just a part of my life. It's what I'm excited about. I read in in the Word on a regular basis, and I'm discovering things about the Lord, and we talked about the Bible, we talked about Jesus. It just happens when you're worshiping. What did we talk about last night? You don't have to be guilted into talking about something that brings you joy. If something brings you joy, it just bubbles out of you. You can't help it. You just talk about it. And so what do you do? How do you talk to people? It's really really not rocket science. You talk to them about life, and you bring Jesus into it because Jesus is part of your life, and He's a big part of your life, Lord willing. I want you to look at the text again. It says, many Samaritans from that town believed in Him, and I love this, because of the woman's testimony, because of the woman's testimony. You know, this woman's testimony wasn't anything special at this point, was it? She wasn't a trained believer. She hadn't gone to Bible college. She hadn't sat under Andy Stearns yet in class, right? She, she was not trained. She had just met Jesus. And look what it says in verse 40. Many Samaritans from the town believed in Him because of the woman's testimony that she said that He told me all that I ever did. Verse 40, So when the Samaritans came to Him, they asked Him to stay And he stayed for three days. Question number three where should I reach people? Where should I reach people? And this is so awesome to see in the text in verse 40 when the Samaritans came to him, many people believed, and he stayed with them, and he stayed with them for two days. Now remember, Jewish people didn't tend to even want to walk through Samaria, right? They didn't want to be anywhere near Samaria. They didn't want to get stained or tainted by the Samaritans. They especially didn't want to use utensils that Samaritans had used. And this is the baggage that the disciples brought in as well. And you go back to verse 27. It says the disciples arrived and they marveled that he was talking to the Samaritan one, But nobody dared to ask it. It gives you an impression the disciples just stopped in their tracks. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. Jesus is interacting with a Samaritan? How could he? Look what it says in verse 40. They stayed there for two days. Where do you think they stayed? <laughs> Boy, this was baptism by fire for the disciples, wasn't it? Hey, Jesus, where are we going? We're going into town. Uh, it, it's, it's nighttime. We, where are we going to stay? It's okay. i got to figure it out. Get to town. We're staying in their houses We're staying in Samaritans' houses. We're going to be laying on their floors, eating out of their plates and and their forks. Yep, you're going to be fine. They go into Samaria, and they stay in their houses. Man, this must have been an incredible experience for the disciples, and I think there's a great principle here in verse 40. Where do you reach people? You meet people in their world, and you invite them into your world. Meet people in their world, invite them into your world friends i believe the days are over of the evangelistic event i think those days are somewhat over you know in the old days where they used to set up a tent for two weeks there'd be an evangelist preaching and they'd have all these things going there's a still in des moines on the east side at northeast side of des moines there's still a tent that shows up every so often and they run special meetings have you ever been over there yeah, it, it shows up around this time of year. I want to go someday just for comedic purposes. I mean, just to like, get ideas, right, to see what's going on. But it looks so interesting what they're doing. I just don't think that is the way things are really happening anymore. And I don't really even know if that was Jesus' pattern because he tended to go to places and he built relationships with people. And he talked to them one-on-one. Jesus says, go and make disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission And I think the great commission was, go and do with other people what I've just done with you. What did he do with them? He spent three years with the same dingbat twelve disciples. Three years discipling them. I think Jesus wanted us to reach people on a relational level. To get to know people in their world and then invite them into your world. One of the phrases I use a lot at our church is this, with unbelievers when it comes to sharing Christ with people to build bridges of grace that, can, that are strong enough to support gospel conversations, to build bridges of grace that are strong enough to support gospel conversations. I've told you about the two neighbors that we have We've lived in this house for three years. We're just now starting to get to the point where we can begin to bring up spiritual things with our neighbors because for the last three years it's just been talking and getting to know, and I've been using this idea, building a bridge of grace that's strong enough to support a gospel conversation. So how do you do that? Well, you have to be with people. You have to invite people into your world. You have to go into their world. I remember in our former neighborhood, we got invited to go to one of the neighbor's birthday parties, and it was like a 40th birthday party. And we walk in, and we have our son, and he's really little. And I mean, it was like a lot of alcohol at this party. I mean, there was beer, and there was a bar, and they were mixing drinks, and all kinds of alcohol at this party. It was just a really interesting environment, and I got offered, you know, something to drink so many times. Now, personally, I don't drink, so... You know, that, that was a, an interesting experience being offered just, you know, turning it down. It's okay. I'll just, I'll just take a bottle of water. I'm good, you know. And, you know, they were fine with that. My neighbor was fine with that. And, and so people are drinking, like, a lot of drinking. And it's time to eat. And he brings everybody in the house. And he says, can I get your attention? I didn't know any of this was going on. Can I get your attention, everybody? Shh. Thank you all for coming. Really appreciate that you're here. He says, I want everybody to meet my neighbor, Mike. Then he says this, Mike's a pastor. (laughs) You can see all of these pagan, drunken people like, uh," you know, like, you got to be getting me. Uh, Just the weirdest experience. And he says, and Mike's going to pray for our meal tonight. (laughs) All right. Stood up. Dear God thank you for all this alcohol that makes us all nice and drunk. No, that's not what I said. Just gave a normal prayer. I didn't pretend like anybody was a believer. I prayed in the name of Jesus, said amen. I mean, like, everybody's like, amen! Raise a glass and popped another shot back.
1: It was
0: just a crazy experience. But we'd gotten to know them well enough where they felt comfortable. I mean, it was a just a, a, a very select group of people that were invited to their house. I mean, I felt privileged to be able to go, you know, that they would consider that. And then the fact that my neighbor had asked me to pray in that scenario was just really strange. But we really had a great relationship with them, and we were able to begin to invite them to some things, some vacation Bible school at our church and some other things, and they moved away, we moved away, and so it kind of stopped at that point. That's what I'm talking about. you got to go into their world. You have to meet them and invite them into your world to make connections with people. And so I would just ask you, what kind of interaction and outreach do you have with your neighbors? With your neighbors. Sometimes the hardest people to reach are your neighbors. Let me just tell you this. God has placed you sovereignly next to those people for a reason. Those are the people you're going to have the best opportunity to reach. I had a friend that loved going uh, what he called cold calling. You know what cold calling is? He'd just go out on the streets and confront people and hand tracks. And, and he, he made other people feel guilty that they didn't do cold calling. You know, what's wrong? Don't you love Jesus? You know. So I said, hey, just curious, um, how much have you witnessed to your next door neighbors? And we, he and I had a really good relationship. He said, ah, well, uh, really haven't ever witnessed to them at all. Are you serious? Mr. Go up to strangers and hand tracks to people? You haven't talked to the people that live next door to you? And he said, this was great. He said this, honestly, I find it a lot harder to talk to my neighbors than to talk to complete strangers on the street. And I think sometimes that's true. It takes a lot more courage to engage with your neighbors than it would to even engage with complete strangers. Friends, God's placed you next to people for a reason. Start talking to them. Start developing relationships. How many of you have had your neighbors over for supper within the last year? One of the things that we did in our neighborhood this last year because uh, we've got these neighbors and some other ones with kids, and we actually stole this idea from our unsaved neighbors in our other neighborhood. They, on Halloween, they would invite all the kids over to their house, they would have supper, and then we would go trick-or-treating all together as a group. So, we're taking the devil's holiday and using it for Jesus. Can I get an amen? Huh? My unsaved neighbors did that. And so we started doing that this last year, invite our neighbors over on Halloween. We had them all over to the house, had a chili supper, went out trick-or-treating, came back for fellowship afterwards. It was great. We've been over to our other neighbor's house for supper. We brought them both meals when they had babies. How much have you connected with your neighbors? One of the things that we did this last year, I thought worked really well. We had a Super Bowl party at our house, and uh, we had two small groups over, two young married small groups over to our house. And the one neighbors are young marrieds. And so we invited our neighbors over with two small groups from our church so they can meet people from our church. And I've noticed on Facebook, some of those people are friends with our neighbors as well. We're introducing them to people in our church. It just really was a great fit, a great way to do that. There's a growth group in our church, a small group, that plans one activity every month where they intentionally invite their unbelieving friends to join them for activities. See, meeting people in their world and drawing them into your world. Let's go on to the next question. What should I use for a method? What should I use for a method? And I would say you really don't even need a method in some ways. Look what it says in verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to this woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. In other words, what they tell this woman is your testimony was just the start. It really wasn't that great, (laughs) in essence. What you said really wasn't that interesting. I mean, it was good, but the reason we're believing is not anymore because of what you said. It's because you brought us to him and we've heard Him speak. And that seals the deal for us. Once we've heard Him, and once you put us in touch with Him, that is a game changer. And I love the way it says that in verse 40. It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we ourselves have heard, heard what? Heard Him speak. And we know that He is the Savior of the world. So this woman shows them Jesus, brings them to Jesus, and then Jesus speaks to them himself. One of the resources that we use at our church a lot is called a book called The Stranger on the Road to Emmaus. I've talked about that here a little bit the last couple days. I think by far that's the best resource I've ever run into for sharing Christ with people. It walks through systematically starting in the Old Testament and simply just unlocks the Bible for people to see Jesus. That's all it is, just for them to see Jesus. And by the end of that study, many times people will understand the gospel and believe. You heard Chris, the the testimony I played the other night, that Chris guy, he read the stranger. That was what was instrumental in his life for him to be saved. And so what's the method? Really, the method doesn't matter. What you're really trying to do is engage people. You're trying to meet people who are worshipers. Like I said the other night, all of us are worshipers. God created us as worshipers. We all worship something. It's not If you worship, it is what you worship. And so when you're meeting unbelievers, you're meeting people who are worshipers. And they are worshiping something. And many of them are experiencing thirst. Many of them feel an emptiness inside because what they're worshiping is not satisfying because they're not worshiping Jesus. Jesus is the only thing that satisfies. And so when you're talking to people, what do you use for a method? Method. Really all you're doing is just exposing them to Jesus. You share your experience with Jesus and then you bring people to Jesus. You open their eyes to Jesus. You connect with people on that basis and let them see Jesus. I love the way John Piper says it. He goes, missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. The point of missions is to spread the worship of Jesus worldwide. Engage with people. How do you engage with people? Well, you don't have to go be just like people to engage with them. You don't have to adapt everything they do to be with people or to connect with them. Just meet them, talk to them, open their eyes to who Jesus is. That's what this woman did in this text, and it was so beautiful. And Let's go to the fifth question and answer here. Why then should I reach people? Why should I reach people? And the answer to that question is in verse forty-two. It says at the end of verse forty-two, they said to the woman, it "Is no longer because of what you said that we believe; for what we have heard for ourselves, and we know. Listen, and we know that this indeed, that he indeed is the Savior of the world; that he is." the Savior of the world. So why should I reach people? We reach people. Why? Because Jesus is the Savior of the world. And for the Samaritans, this was important. The reason the Samaritans are saying this is because the Jews thought the Savior was only for them. And the Samaritans, after talking to Jesus, say, no, this Jewish Messiah is for everybody. And friends, we need to know that as well that Jesus is for everybody. Jesus isn't just for the suburban-type people. He's not just for people like us. He's for everybody. He's for people that desperately need Him, and we all desperately need Him, and we need to engage with people and run to people. And show people Jesus. You see, Jesus ran and embraced people that we naturally would want to run away from. That was how he operated. Because some of those people that we would want to run away from, the reason we want to run away from them is because they need Jesus so much, they're sinning in ways that show how empty their lives are. And we must not be scared of them. We must not be afraid of people who have problems. Some of the people that have the greatest problems are the people that have the greatest need and are searching the most. And you can come in to someone's life and show them the truth of Jesus Christ and how much Jesus satisfies. A couple nights ago, I showed the video of Chris. And I love that video because Chris had such an interesting path in his life and drugs and alcohol and the night that he tried to commit suicide and he took all those pills and is on a hospital bed. He'd already started to get counseling at our church and he's reading The Stranger Book on his hospital bed. He finishes reading The Stranger Book and he gloriously comes to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And Chris is a Sunday school teacher at our church now. But Chris is so excited. He's so excited about Christ. He wants to get involved in the counseling ministry at our church because he wants to share Christ with other people. Chris and his wife want to eventually go to Africa as missionaries because they're so excited to share the joy of Jesus Christ with everybody that they know. Chris worked at Come and Go in Polk City, and he gets to talk to a lot of people at Come and Go. And there was this guy that would come in, this this dude named Cal, Cal Tomlin. And Cal's from England. He's got one of those beautiful accents that I can't imitate at all. But Cal is an atheist. And Cal comes in day after day to come and go and talks to Chris. And Cal finds Chris really fascinating. And so Cal begins to come more. And sometimes Cal will just come over in the evenings just to talk to Chris. And at work, at come and go, Chris connects with Cal and they begin to chat about spiritual things. I want you to see Cal's testimony and to watch how one person sharing their joy with somebody else, how that can impact other people.
1: Hi, my name is Cal and this is my story. I grew up in what you'd call, and I guess what you'd call an agnostic household. My mother was a converted Catholic. My stepfather was never really religious. My grandmother, on the other hand, sent me to a Church of the Nazarene uh, Sunday school. And through that, I was at least aware of God, but I never really developed a relationship. I never really knew anything about Christ. And flash forward a few years, I graduate high school and I start working in bars. And around that time, started drinking, it's when I it's when I went into university. I ended up with a drinking problem. I spent two years just drinking, chasing women, not being who I could be, I ended up failing university. It took a year and a half before I started to see, hold on, there's something wrong, there's something seriously wrong. I met my now wife online and I found that I had a little bit of money stashed away that my grandmother had stashed for me and I figured you know what it's now or never so took a chance flew out here been here ever since the last couple of years I've Really been looking for something, been looking for something to fill the void. And for a while it felt like, felt like things were clicking, but in the long term they really weren't. In 2016, we moved to Polk City. Well, there's nothing to do in Polk City after 8 o'clock except go to the bar. I've got to come and go. So, I started going to come and go and just hanging out. Really got to know one of the employees there. And for whatever reason, one night we got into a theological debate. And at the end of it, he's like, you should come to church with me on Sunday. And I'm like, no, that's, no, that's not for me. So, Every so often, these, these theological debates would pop back up. And every time I'd say, you should come to church. And in the end, I was like, you know what? got nothing to lose, fine. You can pick me up, let's do it. My first week here. One, I got a little overwhelmed by how many people there were. But two, it was amazing seeing How many people here were so welcoming, so open, friendly? If anything, the thing that really opened my eyes were the teachings. There was no political bias. There was no personal bias. Everything came straight from the gospel. That's when I started to realize Maybe I've been wrong. As an adult, I've always justified the drinking, the sin, the stupid things I've done. I, well, I do good things, I'm a morally good person. I'll be fine. It was only sitting, it was only coming here and sitting in one particular service Pastor Mike turned around and he said, Is anybody in here who hasn't accepted Christ as I said you just just look up at me? And I did. And after the sermon, I talked to him and he, he asked me, There's a question for you. If you were to get to the gates of heaven today, And Jesus said, why should I let you in? What would you say? I said, you shouldn't, I don't deserve it. He says, okay, so you've got the negative to it. There's a positive to it. And I sat there over the next week or so, just stewing on it, coming back to it. The following Sunday, sitting there, I can't even remember what it was, I can't remember exactly what it was, that was said. But all of a sudden, everything just clicked. It hit me, all at once. I had goosebumps. I had a moment of absolute clarity. That, oh, you know what? The reason I should be led into heaven is because Jesus died for my sins. God is holy. I am sinful. Jesus saves. He is mine by faith.
0: That was such a cool storyline. We have a lot of people in our church that were saved because someone else who was saved was saved, and and just watch that chain of, of people connecting to each other. In our text here, it talks about the Samaritans coming to know Jesus because of this woman. Later in Acts, we hear that Philip goes and preaches to the Samaritans. Philip at early church leader and he preaches the gospel and many people are saved and it says there was great joy in the city and we see the harvest that continues in Samaria because Jesus met this woman and then met other people and some were saved and more were saved and Philip goes and talks and others come to know Christ. It was so neat working with Cal. i was so thankful that Chris wasn't successful in committing suicide thankful that he had the opportunity to, to meet Cal and that he was willing to talk to Cal. I'm thankful that Cal came to church. thankful that Cal was welcomed. Cal smells like smoke. <laughs> and nobody ever worries about that. Cal's still a little rough around the edges. He still smokes. That's fine. To be honest with you, I think we put it too high of a priority on smoking, if I'm going to be honest with you. Smoking's not even mentioned in the Bible. Things like gossip and divisiveness are mentioned in the Bible. I would take a church full of smokers over a church full of gossips. And I bet you any pastor would say amen to that. But he's still struggling with some things, alcohol. One time I asked him what he had done that weekend, and he and his wife, his wife's not a believer yet, they were downtown and involved in a, a pro-choice cause in downtown Des Moines. So I said, oh, you, you like to kill babies, huh? I didn't say that to him. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say anything. So oh, okay. You know, we'll see what God does. This is a massive worldview shift for Cal coming from where he came from. But he did come up to me that Sunday and said he needed to be saved. And I asked him that question. If you were to stand before God, and he says, why should I let you to heaven? What would you tell him? And he gave me the negative answer. He doesn't deserve it. He's a sinner. And I let it hang there. I sent him home. I didn't tell him the good news. I told him to keep reading the book. He was reading the Stranger book. And he messaged me that week and he says, Pastor Mike, I have the answer to the question. I don't deserve to go to heaven, but the debt of my sin has been paid through the ransom of Jesus who accepted, I accepted as my personal Savior. I had a moment on Thursday where everything just clicked while reading The Stranger on the Road to Emmaus. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget getting that message on my iPhone. It popped in and I was just rejoicing to know that Cal understood the gospel and was able to baptize him. So as we move to close here tonight, I just want to ask you some questions questions. And if you take your notebooks this evening, you can write these questions in your notebooks, because I want you to write them down. I want you to think about it. It's very important that you think about these questions. Jesus gives us an amazing example in John chapter (laughs) 4, simply meeting people in their world, talking with them about life, sharing with them about living water. Question number one, you think about people that you've impacted in your life, who, who's, who is the last person that you were instrumental in leading to Christ? Now, I say instrumental not, not meaning that you actually saw them come to Christ personally or the, the, like you prayed a prayer with them or something, but you, you had some, some hand in, in their coming to know Christ. Who's the last person that you remember that you were instrumental in helping to come to know Christ, and how long ago was that? The reason I ask that is just to get you to think. I believe that every Christian, every follower of Jesus Christ should be always making disciples, always thinking about people to reach. And so my second question is this. What's the name of somebody Write down the name of somebody that you know who needs Jesus, that you need to talk to. And don't just write their name down. I want you to write something else. I want you to write what's your next step in connecting with that person. I was praying with my son the other day in family devotions. It was so humbling for me to hear Elijah, eight years old, he's praying and he starts to pray for our neighbors by name. Lord, I pray for Evan and Laura and Louis and Val and little Louis, and I pray for my friend Liam, and I pray for Finn. pray that they would come to know Jesus. He's already got, he already has a heart for people. It's already on his radar, and he knows that mom and dad are making friends with neighbors for a reason. I mean, we got lots of friends at church. We don't need any more, right? We're we're re-reaching our neighbors so that they can know Christ. So what's the name of somebody that you can reach for Christ, and what's your next step? Meaning, is it to invite them over for a meal? Or is it to maybe have them come for s'mores on your deck? I don't know what it is for you. What's your next step in connecting with that person? Just write that down. We're going to pray here in closing a song this evening. Father, I pray that you would give us strength as we go back to our places of residents and help us to uh, identify the people that you've put in our lives. Father, we recognize that those who live near us are sovereignly put close to us for a reason. Father, I pray that as a result of uh, this family camp and being here together, that there would be many people excited and joyful about making contacts and excited and joyful about showing people who Jesus is. Father, help us to keep our worship of Jesus fresh through regular engagement in the Word, and regular engagement with your people, that Jesus would always be on our minds, and we would constantly be finding new things about him that we appreciate and love, and that we would share that worship with those who need to hear it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.